0: Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland, and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God.
1: We hope you enjoy listening to this message. It's been great these times to gather. Um, to meet the family. And I have thoroughly enjoyed the interviews and talking to people. It's been really good and enjoyed looking at different Bible characters as well. It's one of my things that I love to do anyway. So um, Bible characters have always been really exciting. This is our fourth um, meet the family. And we'll keep you in suspense as to who it is today. You'll know very shortly. Um, we're going to talk about Esther today. Um, so you've probably figured it out it's going to be a female. So um, we're going to talk about Esther today. Um, and before we get to Esther, let me tell you a quick story. Um, in uh, the 10th of August, 1874, um, a 27-year-old guy called Alexander Graham Bell sat at this little spot where he would go and sit at the... Um, at the river in Ontario in Canada and he called it his dream place now some of you will know that Alexander Graham Bell is where we get our word for the bell he was a guy that invented the telephone and the ringing <laughs> and he was um, very interested Alexander Graham Bell was really interested in in deaf education so he was very interested in that and studied that and um, in a a bit of a stroke of genius he began to wonder if electric currents could be used to stimulate sound waves and transmit voices um, electrically and in a letter to his father and i remember this is 1874 in a letter to his father this is a little quote out of the letter he said the day is coming when telegraph wires will be led to houses like water and gas lines and friends converse with each other without leaving home. That's 1874, so he's quite a dreamer. Um, and um, in that same year in 1874 there was a World Fair in Philadelphia and he entered the, the World Fair with his contraption um, uh, makeshift telephone. Now there was 22,742 exhibitors at the World Fair, so it was a, a a big day, 22,742. So things like sewing machines were there and stuff like that, um, uh, even, even they tell us there was coffee makers um, there back in those days. So, but um, uh, one of the judges who was a Brazilian was walking by Graham Bell's exhibit, And he lifted the the contraption and put it to his ear, asking what it would do. So Graham Bell walked a great distance away and spoke down his end. And the judge says, lifts the thing and he goes, this thing speaks. And um, of course all the judges gathered round and um, Alexander Bell won the first prize. Um, out of 22,742 exhibitors, and the rest is history, really. Um, hence, the telephone was born. And um, I uh, tell you this story because I wanted to tell you this because th- this this thing speaks. <laughs> this thing speaks. And um, the voice of God is a very powerful thing. Um, so in the... Uh, Old Testament, we know that he spoke to Moses through a burning bush. We know that um, he spoke to um, the king of the pharaoh through 10 um, plagues. He spoke to Abram through a a voice, a a physical voice. Um, And he, one of my favorites, I suppose, is that he, he spoke to Balaam through a donkey. (laughs) <laughs> and um, spoke to Belshazzar in in the form of a man's hand writing on the wall, writing mini-mini-tickle-you-farson, which means you've been weighed in the balance and found wanting. And, um, and so I often say that God could speak to you through the dog next door if he so decides. God can speak, and he still speaks. And where the word of God is precious and powerful, and I love it, um, let's not Silence the voice of God. And that's what I wanted to talk to you a little bit about today. And so, um, the reason that the reason I tell you the Alexander Graham Bell story is because um, how does a how does a book get into the Bible without mentioning the name of God? How does that happen? And how can God speak to us out of a book that never mentions His name, not once? Um, And such is the book of Esther. There's no mention of God in the book of Esther. Um, And the reason why this account is so incredibly helpful today, because God's rescue of his people unfolds in a book in which his name is never mentioned. Not once. So he he can speak through this, but he can speak any way he wants. And just like Alexander Graham's Bell said, oh, this thing speaks. Our God still speaks. And he speaks through a book that doesn't actually even mention his name which is pretty incredible and matthew henry puts it this way i love this matthew henry says that um though the name of god be not in it the finger of god is directing every or many minute events for the bringing about of his people's deliverance so there's no messianic promises in it there's no messianic promises in the book there's no character in the book explicitly prayers Um, Reads the scripture, it gives to the poor. The only spiritual discipline mentioned in the book of Esther is fasting. Pretty interesting. Um, The Old Testament law is only mentioned once in the whole Bible, and it's mentioned in a sort of a cynical way. So Haman, who will unfold in a moment or two, was a Jew hater. He hated the Jews, and he wanted to wipe the nation of all the Jews out. His, His idea was to wipe... The complete nation of the Jewish people and, um And so, the only mention of the law is this, where Haman is actually talking to King Ahasuerus, and he's saying, um, their laws are different than everyone else. So, he's complaining about the Jews, and he says, their laws are different than everyone else, and they do not obey the king's laws, and it is not in the king's best interest to tolerate them. So, he's trying to get rid of them. Now, that's the only mention of the law, but interestingly, Um, did a little bit of research in this. Secular laws of the day are mentioned 14 times in the book. So the secular laws of the day are mentioned 14 times. And the law of the Medes and Persians was very powerful. Twice over, it tells us in the book of Esther that the law of the Medes and Persians cannot be revoked. So once it's made, it can't be revoked. on the surface, um, the, the book of Esther Isn't without divine influence, all right? Instead, for those who pay attention, the unseen and the unspoken names are subtly powerful. And on the surface, Esther is a beautiful story, full of coincidence um, and overly optimistic characters, I suppose I could say. Um, And one could read it casually and not understand why it's in the Bible at all. but when we read Esther in the context of the whole Bible, and that's how you've got to read the Bible, um, Mordecai has challenged Esther, takes on richer meaning, and this is the verse that I want to home in on later on when we bring our guest up. And it's this very powerful verse in Esther 4. And um, so he's, Esther Ragnon, if she speaks up at this moment in time, her life could be at stake, but Mordecai, her a cousin, her, her older cousin actually says, if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews may arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. And so I, I, my little thing is that she's a worthy example of, she trusted God because she knew that Perishing for faithfulness is far better than surviving due to faithlessness. And so she's quite a, quite a character. So let's start digging a little bit. Just four quick points, then we're going to bring our guest up. Um, if you wanted to study the book of Esther, um, the whole plot of the story is in the first two or three chapters, and then the, the, the rest of how it defined sort of drags on a little bit in the last Um, number of chapters, but the first one or two chapters are very, very powerful. And so I want us to look at four things really quickly. I want us to look at the grace of God at work. The grace of God at work is a very powerful thing. Chapter one opens with the abundance of lavish feasts and feasts that this King Ahasuerus of Persia. Now, more than a century before, the Jewish people had been taken into captivity by Babylon and... um, God's promise was that they would be in in exile for 70 years. So they knew they were going to be in exile for 70 years. But by God's grace, the Persians became their rescuers, giving them freedom to travel back to Jerusalem. And we can read those stories in Ezra and Nehemiah where they went back. But when we open the book of Esther, we find 50 years have passed since the release of the Jews back out of Babylon. Babylon. And some of the Jews are still living in captivity, 50 years after they were released. And... um And maybe that's because either their families were too weak to travel or take the long journey, or they came from families that didn't really care about God at all. I don't know. But they were still there 50 years after. They shouldn't have been there. (laughs) And uh, yet, when we open the book of Esther, this is the most powerful thing, to discover God is rescuing these very people. These people who had forgotten him, he has not forgotten. It's just marvelous grace, really. And so if you feel weak in faith and you feel maybe that God has forgotten you a bit, you are the very people God goes after. He loves people like that. He loves everyone. So God's grace at work. The second thing that you see in the book, if you looked at the next little section, 10 to 22, you would see the destruction of sin at work. Um, scene two opens. We find King Hasarus has presumably very drunk from seven days of feasting and flowing wine, wanting his wife to leave her feast because one chapter 1 verse 9 tells her that she was also having a feast for the women. So I think we could rightfully presume that wine was flowing there too. And so um, Queen Vashti, who is presumably drunk from her own feast, uh, refuses to come, and the king launches into a fit of drunken rage and begins consulting with his cabinet what should be done. And um, and in a sort of a drunken stupidity, the king and his cabinet become worried that Vashti's refusal to come and, and, and dance for her husband will lead every woman in Persia to disrespect their husband. And so they come to the conclusion that Queen Vashti must never enter the presence of the king again. So a quick divorce, really. So he just oust her. That's it. And um, the king acting in intoxicated foolishness and a queen acting in intoxicated stubbornness, a marriage ends. And um, not only is sin a rebellion against God, sin is also a a thing that destroys our relationships with people. And um, Ahasuerus and Vashti were obviously happy before these feasts began, and then sin rears its head, and now they're divorced, they're parted. So that's the destruction of sin at work. Thirdly, the sovereignty of God at work. So I love this, actually, because when you pick up chapter 2, you're into the sort of like the third scene. And despite this divorce, God is at work to bring about the sovereign plan for his people. And a depressed king, Ahasuerus, who responds to his wife's absence by um, organizing this sort of massive, I can only call it beauty queen search party um, for a new queen. And in chapter 2, that's where we actually meet Mordecai and Esther, uh, who I say was her older cousin who adopted her whenever her parents died. And um, when the king's search party begins, Esther is noticed right away, and she's chosen in chapter 2, verse 8, to spend a a night with the king and um, Mordecai is quite concerned about this we're told in verse 11 of chapter 2 that he walks by the the sort of outer court every day watching out for Esther in this journey but when that night arrives what was a bit of a shocking night really for these concubines that night arrives this is what it says that the king loved Esther more than all the women, and she won the grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins. So he set a royal crown in her head and made her queen instead of Vastia. And I want to pick up on that little thought because the person I'm going to talk to in a minute or two um, ended up in a job that she probably didn't think she was going to do. And um, Esther ends up being a queen. Now, the only criteria for this job was Beauty. That was the only thing the king was looking for. He was just looking for somebody that was cracking looking. So the only criteria is beauty. However, out of all the women in Babylon, now, if you take a world map and go from Greece to India, that's Babylon. So out of all the women from Greece to India, this orphan girl gets picked to be the queen. Like it's talking about the sovereign hand of God. Now if the sovereignty of God can work on that, surely he can deal with our baggage and our weakness and our sin because he's sovereign. And then lastly, I want to talk about for a moment or two is the word of God at work. See the word of God. Look what happens next. Mordecai sitting at the king's gate. I think it's a job that Esther probably landed him. And while he's there, he hears of a plot to kill the king. And if you put yourself in Mordecai's shoes at this moment in time getting rid of the king would be a pretty it would be pretty it'd be a pretty good thing for the jewish nation but he realizes Mordecai remembers God's word spoken through the prophet Jeremiah because this is what the prophet Jeremiah had told them. He told them they were going to go into exile, they were going to live in captivity, but they were to actually, they were to seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on his behalf for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. And Mordecai knew that. He knew that he was to pray for the city in which he was a captive. And so Mordecai had a choice in this moment. He could obey God's word and trust the promise about his welfare, or he could power grab his own welfare by letting a rotten king get what he probably deserved. And Mordecai chooses God, and he tells Esther of the plot, who in turn tells the king, and Mordecai ultimately honors God and worships him through his reverend debate. It's a very powerful story. And as the story then unfolds, I haven't time to go into the rest of the story, but what happens is um, the king then, Esther tells the king that Mordecai was the one that uncovered this plot. And, and the king Ahasuerus asks Haman, who hates the Jews, what, what do you think I should do for the man that honors the king? And of course, Haman thinks, Haman thinks the king's gonna honor him. So he thinks of the most elaborate thing put him on a horse, make him go through the city, make everybody bow their knee to him. And Ahasuerus says, that's a great idea. You do that for Mordecai. Like the, it, is, it, is, it is almost laughable um, to see the turnaround of this. And actually, when you read on in the story, what actually happens is that um, Haman gets hanged on the, on the gallows that he had conjured up to hang Mordecai on. It's a pretty incredible story of the turnaround. But um, I'm gonna, I've asked Joanne Briggs this morning, and um, Joanne's going to come up, and we're going to have a little chat. Um, some of the events I know in Joanne's life, um, she's in a place where she probably never expected to be, and um, some of the events, I think, are for such a time as this. So um, you can have that that happened to me last week my my mask got tied up in my mic and had to rip it off so um so so it's just the the story of esther is an incredible story and the the thing is that god speaks in in some very powerful ways but joanne um john you tell us who you are and introduce us to your family and tell us what you do
0: I'm Joanne and I'm married to the brilliant Chris. He told me that I had to say that so I had to make sure I got it in the first service. He is brilliant but he did tell me to say that. Um, I also am mum to uh, the wonderful Aaron who's 10 and Ellie who's 15 and Dylan who's 17 and I'm also the director of the Leprosy Mission here in Northern Ireland, and for those of you who don't know anything about the Leprosy Mission, because I can't waste an opportunity, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, is that the Leprosy Mission works all over the world, The global organisation uh, works in 30 different countries to defeat leprosy and transform the lives of anyone who's been affected by it, and we have a vision to see zero transmission by 2035, which is in 14 years, which is pretty amazing.
1: And the, the leprosy mission is quite, a, a, quite an old um, ministry. I don't mean this disrespectful in any shape or form. It's been incredible in the decades and decades. I don't know how long it's been going, but I know it is a pretty old organization. And am I right in saying that, like Esther, who never expected to be queen, um, Joanne never really expected to be the director of the leprosy mission. Would that be right?
0: Absolutely. Um, I definitely, uh, when the job came up, was definitely thinking I am not the fit for this job. Um, I've had the the privilege of working in the Christian charity voluntary sector most of my professional career life. I um, worked in Scripps Union for a couple of years, then with Habitat for Humanity for 12 years. And the last couple of years with Habitat just was really restless and myself really unsettled and was really feeling the Lord was moving me on but had no idea what or where or why and after two years of of waiting and praying and asking really felt like actually I'm going to come out of the sector completely you know maybe it's time for a change and um one job came up and I thought oh I think I'll be quite good at that applied for it got to the last two then didn't get appointed Um, was really disappointed and gutted and was like, Lord, I thought that was what you wanted me to do. Um, And then a few weeks later, the job for the leprosy mission came up and it came up and I read it and I was a bit intrigued by it and got the information and thought, I think I could do that job, Um, but looked at the Leprosy Mission, as you say, Phil, it's one of the oldest missionary organizations in Ireland, nearly 150 years old. Um, It gets a lot of very faithful and generous support from the very traditional denominations here in Ireland. And when I looked at myself and looked at my story and my faith journey, I just thought there's no way (laughs) that I'm going to fit into all of that. Um, but through the process of this took about three months the whole recruitment process and through that process it just really began to connect with my heart and one of my life verses is from isaiah 61 you'll know it: the spirit of the lord is on me because the lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor he sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And obviously that verse is about Jesus. And, and as his disciple and follower, you know, we're called to be like him and called to do um, even greater things than what he did <laughs> whenever he was on earth. And, and ever since I became a Christian, I was 16. This has been the verse that has really compelled me into lots of different things. And, and during that recruitment process with the leprosy mission, you know, God was just saying to me, This, this, this is how I, this is going to be outworked in this season. And, and one of the things actually was that I was female. Um, because whenever I looked around, a lot of the leaders of similar types of organizations were, were male. And I was thinking, There's no way. <laughs> there is no way. Um, how am I going to fit into all of that? And not only was I female, I was young. My children would say that's not true. But um, mm. actually, compared to those around me, I was, I was quite young. Uh, there were other females around, but they weren't leaders. And if they were vo- involved in the missionary organisations, they tended to be much older and were single. Um, here was I, a young female with young kids at the time. Um, and I just thought, how on earth <laughs> how on earth is this going to work? Anyway, through the process, I just felt that the Lord was saying, you need to apply for this. And as I said, it really connected to my heart. And I just prepared well and just left it up to the Lord and then was successful and got offered the post. And I remembered on the first day driving into the car park, this little just picture dropped into my head, which was round peg in a round hole. Um, And that has stuck with me. I've been with them now for seven years. Um, It's been such a joy to work with the leprosy mission. Um, But there has been many situations where I have thought, really, Lord? (laughs) Really? Where I've walked into situations where I've been the youngest person, I've been the only female in the room. And, you know, I've just thought, Lord, really? (laughs) Mm -hmm. And he said, yeah, really. And I suppose what I've discovered through it all is actually that God doesn't necessarily call the equipped, he equips the called, and there's been so many times through that, through the past seven years, so many different circumstances where God has just gone before, you know, I've seen a situation, I've thought, I've no idea how to deal with this, I've no idea what to do, Um, and the Lord has just either just sorted it out or has raised up people around me and you know, are things where I've just thought, how do I know how to do this? And I've looked back over my life, and it was because I'd had an experience with somebody or done something, and um, and yeah, and so it, it's been it's been an amazing privilege, and I've got such a great team of people and a great board to work with, and so like Esther, find myself have fun, continually find myself in very unfamiliar places, um, but the Lord is faithful.
1: Brilliant, and actually, you know, it's funny because the history of the leprosy mission may. My history of the leprosy mission is a little box that that was in my mum's house whenever I was a kid. You know that you put your 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 change in, and yet it's, it's an incredible organisation in the fact that leprosy actually, I'm on right, and saying and is curable. Yeah,
0: completely curable. It's Completely curable,
1: and and yet like many i know i haven't prepped you for stats but many people die of leprosy well
0: it's not necessarily dying of leprosy but contracting leprosy there would be a quarter of a million confirmed cases every year but um what we talk about is the missing millions so actually the nature of leprosy is as you would think about it from Bible times, people are very stigmatised and there's huge discrimination. There's even over 130 laws in our world today where actually um, people are actively discriminated against. If you've got leprosy, if you're allowed to get onto a train in India if you've got leprosy. You can be divorced in Nepal and grounds of leprosy. Um, you can't have certain jobs if you're a child of somebody who has leprosy or even go to school. And so it's really the stigma of it all and the discrimination, but it's, it's completely curable, but you have to get it quickly. Um, because it then goes on to do irreversible damage and, and people yeah. can have huge disabilities um, which is just very you know it's very difficult
1: Tell us um, um, you know in chatting to you over the last number of weeks or maybe even the last couple of months with you and Chris there does seem to be a little such a time as this moment that's evolving in your lives at the moment your kids are getting a bit older and um, and uh can you share a wee bit about what that is at the moment or what you're sensing or feeling at the moment in that little such a time as this
0: yeah so chris and i've been married for 21 years this year (laughs) um and so i suppose ever since we got married our heart has always been for for family life and and for our home to be a a safe place a place of love belonging and not just for our kids but for anybody who would walk through doors and um, so we've always tried to have a, an open home just in the everyday um, you know whoever would come stay the night or you know come around for food or whatever and um i suppose over the years you know there's there's been moments where actually we, we felt like you know maybe is the lord maybe saying something to us about all of that but you know life goes on you know and then um over the past year since about last summer last year we've just had this real sense of actually having to, to move house <laughs> um, and, and, um, you know, which is a bit of a crazy idea in the middle of a pandemic. And, um, but, um, you know, we just, you know, really from last September, just felt actually the Lord wanted to take this to a new, a different level and that um, we should move house and that we should, and um, the word that just kept on coming was a spacious place. You, you need to move to a more spacious place to, allow more people to come Um, and so long story short um, we put our house on the market kind of October time we sale agreed we put a bid on another house at the start of the year and then just a number of circumstances happened and everything fell through Um, and then uh, whenever I picked myself off the floor of disappointment um, we kind of took a step back and, you know, whenever disappointments come, it, it does kind of knock you, you'll know that. And you I was kind of like, have we heard from God? Is this just, am I making this all up? You know, is it crazy? You know, and so we just took a step back and um, sought the wise counsel of others, you know, through the process. And so we put our house on the market again at the start of June. We still agreed at the end of June there. We're moving probably in about 10 or 12 weeks. Um, We've got a temporary situation in place, which is great, and we're very thankful for that, but have no idea where the Lord has taken us or what we're doing. So if anybody has a spacious place or a house they'd like (laughs) to sell or even give us, you know, here's the the ask. Um, We just feel like we're stepping out in faith and and have no idea, um, but just holding on to... To the fact that we have a good father who doesn't withhold any good thing from us, and relying on on his his promises at this time. So.
1: Brilliant. Just to finish us off, can you tell us if if I, if I was going to say, to you, you know, some of even the younger, especially younger females in the room, you know, you, you're saying about stepping into arenas that weren't were not comfortable for you, and you know, in a in a mission that was probably very male orientated. Um, And and obviously, in looking at a book like Esther that doesn't actually mention the name of God, just to give a bit of advice of how to hear God, you know, obviously you need to read the Bible. That's, That's the key thing. It's God's spoken word and you need to read it. But there are loads of things, aren't there? And just a little bit of advice to finish off to maybe even the young females in the room of how they would step into more for God?
0: Yeah, I suppose there's a couple of things, I think. Firstly, it's all about heart, I think. You know, I think there's been, there's been a few situations where, you know, people have actually said to me, you're not what we were expecting. <laughs> and I thought, okay, that's interesting. Not sure what that means. But mm. um, Or I've said things like, you're not the typical person that would be coming um, and, and sharing. Um, and, and for me, it's about what is my heart before God, actually, because he sees my heart and um, through all the the highs and lows of the years um, I've just always come to a place that I'm responsible for my heart and I'm responsible for for what i do before god and what i say before god and and other people are responsible for what they do and what they say and and their actions but i think you know a couple of things for me is um firstly go for it Um, you know if you feel nudges and nuances and and even in circumstances or you come alive around certain things notice those things you know you were saying earlier Phil about paying attention to things you know so for me you know it's about taking space to pay attention to those things and that's not easy to do you know in our fast-paced lives and certainly as as a mom of three kids and you know all the different taxi services that's required Mm -hmm. and all the different demands that are put um, but for me it's about intentionally taking time and paying attention and and writing things down, I like I my memories. Like a sieve. I said, you know. So for me, it's about writing things down, and then you know, over the months and over the years, as I look back, I think you know, God's actually saying the same thing here. You know, it's maybe in a slightly different way, but it's the same thing. And um, things build momentum. Um, and also, you know, it's about not letting your past dictate your future. Actually, um, because God is is the rewriter of stories, um, and and it's about. Um, not letting the judgments and expectations of others put a a, you know a ceiling on who you're going to be and even the judgments you have of yourself you know because i certainly was thinking there's no way i could do this you know look at where i've been look at my story and and actually go it's like you know it'll be fine you know i got you Um, and so for me that's about it i think as well it's about um you know, over the you know I've been a Christian for 30 years. For the first 20 years, I was very focused on serving God and very focused on, you know, how could I outwork this verse, you know, and um, you know, and that's led to some amazing local and global mission opportunities. But over the last 10 years, you know, I've just realised more and more that it's about my heart before God. That God's more interested in, in who I am rather than in what I do. And, you know, over the last 10 years, it's almost like I've, I have kind of been becoming a Christian again and again, you know, because it's just been, you know, actually, you know, finding God in you as and just being caught up with him and his story. So rather than coming to God and going, okay, God, bless me and my work, you know, help me with this situation. It's been about lifting my eyes and focusing and looking to say, what is God doing, you know? So I would encourage you to, to lift your eyes and think and, and to dream. You talked about the dreaming place earlier, Phil, you know, and it's about you <laughs> taking time and, and setting aside apart to dream and what are the dreams that, that God is putting in your heart and what's God doing around you and actually then how can you be part of that bigger story and I think that's that's part of what Chris and I are going through at the moment it's it's not so much about you know Chris and I and, and our house move it's about God what are you doing and, and where do you want us and actually where do you want to strategically position us because actually you want to reveal yourself to, to people. Um, I think as well is that God's timing is perfect Um, And, you know, some of the stuff that's come into fruition now you know was actually birth 30 years ago for me um and you know it's it's you know his timing is perfect and nothing is wasted nothing is wasted at all as i say there's been so many circumstances and situations even in the last five ten years where i find myself in situations and thinking how do i know that or how do i know that person and and it's because god's been weaving stuff over many years and, and working it all out so at the time when i actually needed it it was just there at my fingertips. Um, and, that, and and so his timing is perfect. And I suppose I'm really holding on to that at the moment because I'm thinking, okay, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm selling my house. And you know okay, God, now would be a good time for you to turn up, please. Um, but actually, his timing is perfect. And, and you hold on to his promises and you go, actually, you're my good father. You don't withhold anything from me. You see me, you know my heart. Um, and in the midst of all of this, Lord, it's about you being honored and glorified. And I suppose... Uh, Um, I shared with Phil a while ago that this time last year I I do retreat days every so often which is part of me just taking... Um, time apart to pay attention and and I always go to the ocean because that's the place that I love Um, and about this time last year um, this bit of driftwood kind of floated um, up to the the coastline and I felt the Lord was saying Joanne I just want you to be driftwood and for someone like me who's organised and and in control of things you know I'm like going really driftwood Um, and so the last year it's just been constantly (laughs) God's been going you need to be driftwood you need to just surrender to what I'm doing and just brilliant. go with it um, and so at the moment that that's what we're doing and so I would just say to anyone you know that if if you're dreaming big dreams you know actually just go for it but be driftwood actually just surrender to what the Lord is doing and I mean his plans are perfect and his timing and his ways are perfect and it will be immeasurably more than what you could ever dream or imagine
1: brilliant give her a round of applause would you um, let me pray for you um, our time's gone, but um, it's so good to hear the stories, isn't it? It's so good to meet people and hear the stories. Exciting. And God does speak through His Word primarily, but He speaks through dreams and visions and pain and suffering. He, he speaks through all of those things. Um, so keep your, keep your antennas up for the voice of God. He even speaks through a, 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 a book that doesn't mention His name. Pretty incredible, isn't it? Um, so this thing speaks. This thing speaks. Um, Father, I just thank you for Joanne and Chris and their family. Thank you for her story of faith. Thank you, God, for the asset that she has been over the years to the leprosy mission. And God, we just thank you for her skill in leading. And we pray your abundance upon her. Father, we pray that upon all of our church family. We pray for all of our younger ones, maybe today, especially our younger females. We just pray... Um, risk and dare and God and listening to your voice and love and acceptance into their lives Lord we just pray for all of our family in Jesus name today Amen the Lord bless you, thanks for joining us online, Um, enjoy your holidays if you're on holiday and um, God bless you and I'll see you next week God bless
0: We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk.